You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Hey, church, my name is Matt Murph, and I serve with the wonderful people in our worship ministry. I'll be reading from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> so encouraging for Matt this morning. Hey, it's uh, good to see you. If you have your Bibles, that will be our primary text. Uh, I want to remind you of something, uh, and then I'm going to put a period on that, uh, and then I want to talk to you uh, about this text today in the hopes that I might encourage you that the kingdom of God has spread across the world through imperfect, incomplete, struggling people who have just trusted that Jesus is good and to invite you all the more into that. So that's, that's the plan for today. First, the reminder. Um, in July of 2021, we purchased the corner. Uh, I'm not good at directions or how to see. I'm not Davy Crockett. I'm not where I don't have a compass. But um, from Browning to Morris, wherever those streets are right now, I'm in a building without windows, so I'm a bit stuck. Don't help me. It's fine. You know. Um, we bought the whole corner. We don't own uh, Chick-fil-A. We don't own Starbucks. We don't own Wendy's. But the rest of the shopping center is ours. Um, we bought that with the intent uh, over a period of time um, to retrofit and cr create a space that can help us fulfill the things that God's given us to do, namely to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have begun to meet with both designers and architects on what that might look like and how that might play out. I'm not asking anything of you. In fact, Josh already gave you an update of how that's already started. Uh, that process has already begun. Uh, and so over the course of the next year, here's some things that you can expect us to finalize that and begin to roll it out to you. Uh, before we get to that point, what we're going to do is hold a series of fasts and prayers so that you might join us in seeking the face of God. It's a challenging endeavor. There are things that uh, make it very difficult in, in a space that's already uh, very difficult. And so we're going to need uh, the, the Lord to to help in significant and at times, I think, supernatural ways. And so what we're going to want to do uh, is create a series of events where we invite you to fast with us during the day, like uh, breakfast and lunch, and then meet for prayer and worship. And then let's just go out and feast after that. Uh, and I think it's important. In fact, I want to try to make it, if I can, we're going to decide this week in our exec meeting. I would love for it to be Wednesday night so it's especially disruptive. Uh, where we shut everything else down and we just go, there's nothing more important than to humble ourselves before God in an endeavor like this and say, we, we need your help. Uh, and so you're going to hear more about that in the weeks and months to come. And I would just ask you to make it a priority. You know this is hard. You, you know it's hard to get in here. It's hard to get out of here. It's hard to get your kid in and then still have a seat. I saw some poor woman with a stroller sprinting. I was like, we'll make it work. I promise I'll get you in. Just breathe for like dente coffee, just trying to make it. And we want to, I, I don't know that I want it to be easy, but it can be easier than this. Uh, and so that's what's coming down. That will cost something. I don't know what that will cost. 
we will let you know that that costs something and we will want you to give towards that. But for now, this is just me reminding you that this is the stuff that's going on in the background, okay? Now, period, I'm gonna set that over here and, and then I wanna have this conversation. One of the sacred spaces that I get to sit in repeatedly um, with people that I know well and people that I just met because I'm a pastor is that people will begin to um, let me in on things that are going on inside of them that, that either feel crushing or disorienting or so let, let me give you, I've been here over 20 years, which I love because you can kind of get a flavor for what's going on in our community. Let me give you a, a fairly consistent conversation uh, I have with men and women. Um, a fairly consistent conversation I have with men and women is they're just kind of disappointed at how life's turned out. Like when they were younger, they, they were looking forward to this, you know, everything was kind of forward focused, you know, I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna live in this neighborhood, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna have this job, I'm gonna have, and now they're in it. And they just thought it would be more than this. And so it's super disorienting. In fact, I might even use the word paralyzing. And so they feel forced either to put on the face. You tracking with me? You know what I mean by that? It's like, hey, brother, put on the face or, or to shrink back. Uh, another fairly consistent uh, conversation I've had in this area with men and, and women is that they grew up in a version of Christianity that's being radically challenged in their adulthood and it's disorienting, and it's paralyzing. Um, the, way that, the way I've seen that play out is, uh, one, they, they, um, they were told, foolishly told, that people who aren't Christians are miserable, mean, cruel people, which is absurd. And so then what happens? Oh my gosh, they get out of their bubble and they meet actual lost people. And they find out, hey, some of these people are actually nicer, kinder, and more stable than people in the church. And now they're disoriented. Or they see someone who is godly and love Jesus suffer in a way that they can't get their mind around. Another consistent conversation I have uh, is, is people who are stuck in kind of besetting sins and they can't get out of it and they don't know why. There's a kind of doubt that sets in. There, there, there's a kind of um, disillusionment that sets in. And the enemy loves that because then the enemy likes to slide in and go, well, that's because you're not a Christian. And you're like, oh my God, I'm not a Christian. And then what you do, what, I mean, the game he's playing is to cause us to shrink back rather than to run in. And I'm trying to highlight the biblical historical reality of our faith that the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ across the globe has happened through imperfect, broken Christians in ordinary neighborhoods, living faithful lives, praying and sharing the gospel with neighbor and friend, and seeing the world turned on its head. And any other version of our faith that would say you have to attain to some level of perfection before the Lord can use you is not biblical and it's not historical, and I might even be so bold as to say probably demonic. Okay, so you're looking at me like you don't believe me. So let's, let's dive in. Um, so I want to highlight, there, there's a guy in the Bible that I love. And then I just think he got this terrible rap. Uh, I mean, I just think he's a bold, ferocious man of God. He has this one little moment of weakness. And, and I think he did better than we would have done. And then he's labeled the rest of his life. And through the rest of history is doubting Thomas. Man, you wish you were doubting Thomas. 
Like Thomas is a monster in the faith. Now, by and large, we don't know much about him. Usually we read his name when the Bible lists the apostles. That's usually when we see him. But there are these two passages in which we do see him, but it's only one that we kind of highlight, extrapolate, and that's what he's known for, that moment of weakness. Doubting Thomas. I think he'd probably want to fight some people in heaven. If you can, and if you can fight people in heaven, it would just increase everyone's joy in there. So that maybe we'll throw hands in heaven. It could, could be fun. Now, with that said, let, let's read about, let, let's read about uh, our boy Thomas, who church history is going to tell us is going to take the gospel all the way into India by the time his life is over a profound and powerful man of God. And this is the same passage we were in last weekend for Easter. Lazarus has died, and and Jesus now tells his disciple, Lazarus has died, and we're going to go. And I want you to watch Thomas's response to this, doubting Thomas's. Here we are, John 11, 14 through 16. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now listen to the line. But let us go to him. Now, where's Lazarus? Well, he's dead. So they just heard, let's go die. And look at our boy. Look at doubting Thomas. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What? Doubting Thomas? So Jesus, not very clear. Lazarus has died. Let's go to him. And it's Thomas, not Peter. You would think you'd believe Peter. But it's Thomas that says, let's do it, bro, Let, let's get it, right? It's just that moment like in the Alamo, you know, sort of like, who's gonna die? I'm gonna, like, Thomas is in, I love Thomas. Thomas could work here, maybe. But have to do a background check, I don't know, we don't know anything about him, but I, I like this faith, it's bold, it's unafraid, it's full of courage, and they go, and they're like, oh, no, no, we're not gonna die, he's gonna raise Lazarus from the grave. He's the resurrection and the life. That's what Jesus was saying, right? And, and this this leads to um, what we read after the resurrection of Jesus. This is John 20. He's most famous for this passage, which is wildly unfortunate for him, isn't it? Like, this is the story you'll know if you've got a church background, or maybe you don't even have a church background. You just know there was a guy named Doubting Thomas. So here's what we read. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. Let's stop. Our best guess, hermeneutically speaking, is that Thomas is a twin. We don't know enough, we don't know a lot about his background. We don't know his parents, we don't know where he's from. But since this is always there, we're not trying to like spiritualize this. My guess is he's got a twin brother or sister, Selah. So called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mar- unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side where that spear will thr- was thrust, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors, this is such a wild passage, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then watch this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Wait, what? You think Thomas is recalling that? Oh, dang. Okay. Put your, hey, Thomas, right here. Put your finger here. Give me your hand. Ah, how you like that, right? That's what's happening. And, And then he meets him in his doubt with the truth of who he is. And then look at his response. And Thomas answered him, my Lord 
and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, Thomas, like all in on Jesus, like to the point where he's like, let's go do it. Oh, we're going to die today? I hope it's a good death. Let's go get some. Like he's that that guy. He's kind of like, he's like, let's do it. I'm, I'm all in on the kingdom but, but he couldn't, even as he was following the Lord, he just couldn't get his mind around this miraculous moment that makes zero sense to them at the time, right? He, he just showed up, and they're like, you're not gonna believe this? I don't know where you went. I don't know if you got lunch or something. We just talked with Jesus. He's like, no, we, we just saw him brutally murdered. We, we saw him torn to pieces. We, we saw him, there's no way. And that, that's why all of this, like, unless I can touch those wounds. He's like saying to them, are you guys crazy? Do you, know, you know, remember what we saw? Like they drove that spear up under his rib cage, through his lungs and into his heart and ripped it out and blood and water flowed. You want me to believe this? I'm gonna have to get my hand into that. And what's fascinating is eight days later, he's still with them. They didn't throw him out because of that doubt. Jesus doesn't light him up because he's not kicked out of the apostles club. He's still there, still praying with them, still together with the community of faith and Jesus shows up and is like, hey, come here. Give me your hand. Huh? What about that? Give me your hand. You like that? Okay, I'm, I'm not, that's conjecture. It's not in the text. But that, I mean, that's, he moves towards Thomas in his doubt. And this, this thing that we see with Thomas, where as we're following Jesus and as we walk in confidence that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, there are these seasons, there are these moments, there are these miracles, there are these situations where we get confounded at what God might be up to or what in the world's going on or why is this happening or what's going on here and still very much with the, I do trust, I do believe, but this thing's kind of gnawing at me that that is more frequently normal than our view of all these guys where they're wearing capes in the wind and they never struggle with anything and there's never any doubt. They're just fully sold out. There's never any moment of, is this for real right now? And yet the Bible is full of men who deeply love Jesus and as they're following and serving him, they get confounded, they get twisted, they get confused. And for a moment they have these really honest and weird conversations with God and it's in the text for our benefit. Let me show you some of these. Well, you saw it in the text. That's our primary text today. Let's look at that real quick. This is Matthew 28. Jesus has uh, risen from the grave. He has spent 40 days with his disciples. He has eaten meals with them. He has done miracles. He has blown the spirit on them. And then we read this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But what? Some doubted. Like, did you see the mingling of those things? Like they worshiped him. And so I've tried to say this for two decades. Like the idea that you're going to see something miraculous and that's going to eradicate any doubt you ever have is absurd and untrue. They saw him brutally murdered. They just spent 40 days with him. He's ascending into heaven and someone there is going, I don't know. (laughs) The Bible shows us that you can see all the miracles you want and your bent is to figure out a different reason for why they happened than to worship your creator. It's human nature. It's bent. It's twisted. And we see even even in this moment a mixture of doubt and mission. Jesus doesn't withhold the mission from them because a couple of them are doubting. He he actually just 
in the face of their doubt, mingled with worship, he says, go. Don't wait, go. You wait till you're perfect. You wait till you have all the answers. You, you wait till everything's lined up. You'll never move. Go. Me, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Great, be nervous. Go, I'll be with you in that nervous. In fact, I'm gonna keep your heart soft and I'm gonna keep you clung to me with that nervousness. Be nervous, go, let's go. Right, well, you know what? I've got this issue. Great, I, I see the issue. Died for the issue, rose for the issue. Issue's handled, let's go. This is what Jesus is doing right in the face of doubt, right in the face of fear, right in the face of all of it. And, and this is actually how it works throughout the scriptures. Let me show you some other ones of these. Some are so bold, it's like it's hard to get the mind around. This is Jeremiah 20, verse seven. Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I became a laughingstock all the day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. Jeremiah is saying, what I do, what you tell me to do, everything goes bad for me. And that's not what you promised me. You promised me, Jeremiah 1, that if I would go where you told me to go and I would say what you told me to say, you would give me the power to build up nations and tear them down. And that's what I signed up for. Not getting beaten bloody and naked and left into a ditch. Not every time I open up my mouth enduring ferocious and violent opposition. This is not what I signed up for. You lied to me. That's the prayer. Can you imagine that in home group? I say this all the time. We'd want to pull this brother aside. Like, why is that in our Bible? Well, watch this. Any of you ever, it's going to take some, any of you ever thought that before? Just like, it's just like, hey man, I feel a little, I feel like you're not kind of delivering on some things for me. Anybody feel that? Just go get that hand up like you're not Baptist. Killing me. Great. Hey, stop. Get your hand up. Look around. Oh my, wait. It's almost like we're not alone. It's almost like, wait, get that hand back up. It's, I know some of you are out of shape. Just switch. If you got to switch, switch. Um, like, this is me burning that shoulder. We're going to get you ready. It's summer, right? Uh, like, th- this is like, it's a normal Christian experience. Like, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you don't love the Lord. It's a moment where you're like, I can't see it. I don't get it. I feel like you bailed on me. What Jeremiah did, though, is he went to the Lord. He didn't run from him, and he actually wrote this out, so he also went to the people. So he doesn't withdraw and go, oh, I stink so bad. I've got to get, like, God's probably frustrated with me. I can't believe I'm doubting him, and God knows people in the church would just burn me alive if they knew I had any struggles. So I'm going to answer this Sunday. If I go, when they ask me how I'm doing, I've got it ready. Fine, brother, how are you? Ding. (laughs) Jeremiah's not going to play the game. You tricked, you deceived me. Then he's writing it out. I feel deceived by the Lord. And David, his nickname's a man after God's own heart. You kidding me? That's a pretty sick nickname. I have one. That ain't it. (laughs) Psalm 13, 1 and 2. Listen, this is King David, a man after God's own heart. How long, O Lord? You ever felt that one in your bones? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? My favorite question that he asks right there is how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? He's describing the tension of someone who loves and trusts God and feels stuck and paralyzed. 
Because when that happens, you internally wrestle with the Lord. You've been there? We were like, what? Like in another passage, he actually like, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Like you hear him talking to himself? Like, what are you doing? Put your hope in God. Like, why are you so? So he's laying in bed, he's tears and snot and regret. And, and he's like, how much longer? Like, what are you doing? And, and what's happened in this moment of his life is God has anointed him king and Saul's been chasing him for a decade trying to kill him. He's living in caves. He's lost the lover of his soul, the closest friend he has. He is estranged from everyone. He's in the mountains in a cave surrounded by some roughneck fools that are going to ultimately be the army by which God destroys the Philistines with, right? But at the time, everything's lost. He's in a cave and he's like, how long? You can't, I was, I was watching my dad's sheep. You came and got me. I didn't want this, you gave this, and now where are you and how much longer do I gotta barely survive in, in caves with, with foreign people who love foreign gods and, instead of being established where you put me? Like it's right there, it's in the text, and God wanted it to be in the text because you would be there. Because you're gonna say, how long, dadgummit? And what'll happen to you if you're not careful, you start to think you're not a Christian. Or you'll shrink back from the ministry God's given you, or you won't get involved, or you'll, you'll be quiet and you'll put on a face that this isn't the season that you're in. And that's exactly how the enemy destroys and picks off the people of God. Just like any other predator, isolate, pull off to the side, and devour. But David ain't playing. This is a song they sang. That's a chipper little ditty for Sunday morning, isn't it? How long, oh Lord... But see how he's not, he takes it to God. What are you doing? And then because he knows what we just showed a few moments ago with hands, he said, let's sing it together. Because since we'll all be there, we won't all stay there. We won't all be there at the same time, but we will all be there. So let's together sing. And the end of the song, the end of the song in Psalm 13 is like, you're here. You got me. Praise you. Right? So that, let me give you one more, another one, because this one's the one that's like, oh, it's worse than these two. But listen, I'm, again, I am so trying to love you and encourage you today to move towards the Lord and towards the ministry has for you rather than sitting on your hands thinking that it's for other people that are better than you are. Look at me, I love you. Ain't nobody better than you right now. There's a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And, and I think the way the Lord will sanctify you most is by you getting involved in the kingdom rather than trying to better yourself in order to be involved in the kingdom. That might be a whole nother sermon later. This is Matthew 11. This is John the Baptist. Jesus says of John the Baptist that born of woman, there has never been a greater man. And here is John the Baptist, similar to our boy Jeremiah. Every time he opens his mouth, bad things happen. And he ends up in prison. He's actually going to die in prison, beheaded at the whim of a stripper, which is not really, that's a very un-American ending for John the Baptist, isn't it? And here's what he says. Here's his moment of crisis. This is Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, this is a significant moment of crisis because John the Baptist is already on the books of saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? Like he's backtracking here. Like he has already declared, This is the Messiah. And now he's like, oh, shoot, well, maybe not because I'm in prison. This can't be how it plays out. My cousin's got to bail me out. And then here's what Jesus says. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear 
and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, this is, and then I've got to pick up the pace, which is fine. I'm, I'm almost there in the point I want to, the only point I'm proving. I want to prove. About 15 years ago, I finally cross-referenced this verse and was shocked at what I found. Jesus answers John the Baptist by quoting Isaiah, the prophet, about what the Messiah would do and his role. Except Jesus leaves off and the prisoners will go free. So John the Baptist in prison, moment of crisis. Are you really the Messiah? So he finds some runners right there. I know, can't text him. Send some runners. Hey, go and ask him. Go and ask him, are, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Or should we expect uh, uh, someone else? And Jesus responds to the question by telling them, tell him what you see. You see that all that Isaiah said has come true and he's gonna die in prison. I mean, again, that, that is just not how we think about our faith, not how we want to, and yet this is what we see over and over and over, and that as we serve the Lord, as we're on this journey, as we've given ourselves to the mission he's given us, there are these moments and seasons where we are weak, we are confused, we lose sight, we drift, we get overcome with doubt as a normal part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I love this. Actually, I love this quote by Tim Keller, which is about as close to a Jedi as we get in the Christian faith. And here's what he says. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. It is no longer sufficient. He's talking about the moment of time we're in. It is no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. So again, here's what I'm trying, I'm not trying to lay on you, you better become an expert that can give everybody a response. There are places you can find answers if you want to seek them. I'm trying to help you and be encouraged that if you are in your own season of feeling paralyzed, of feeling stuck, of wrestling with something that feels real disrupted of you, not to withdraw and hide, but to move towards the Lord in confession, he is strong enough to hold your lack of faith in the season. He just is. It's his whole history saying, I got you, get in here. Like when our kids are weak and disoriented, isn't that when we move towards them? When they're exhausted and, and we see that stress overwhelms them, don't we grab hold of them? Do you rebuke or press or curse or, uh, or like in a moment where your kid's barely hanging in there? No, 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 you come alongside. You come embrace you, you move towards with time and attention, and at least you should. And, and this is the heart of the Father towards those who are in this season, not to withdraw from, but to move towards. Like Jesus eventually shows up and goes, put your hand here. Hey, stick your hand in here. And, and so what I want to do is just invite you today. If this is where you are, like you're just in a season, man, it's just, it, because 
It's gonna be hard to not endure these seasons in 2023. You and I are breathing a kind of toxic air and most of the time we don't even know it. There is a sexual ethic. There, there is a, a, a persistent message about what human flourishing is that's actually acidic and is destroying people, lives, families, and culture. And what happens is when the Bible lays its weight on that, we feel stuck between two worlds. And, and if you're a more mature Christian, I know you're going to email me this week and be like, well, you shouldn't be stuck between two worlds. And I'll remind you, you were in diapers once yourself. And you ought to be more gracious to people who are behind you. Amen. You might be growing in self-righteousness, and I'd be careful. That is not the heart of the Lord. The heart is to love the weaker, to move towards the infant, to make space for the new. Will you grow to a point where doubt is less and less uh, an issue? I think so. What will happen is in gazing upon the cross of Christ, reminding ourselves over and over again that for whatever else might be going on, I know that the Son of God descended, put on flesh, died for me, absorbed God's wrath so that I might be free and full and, and, and happy in his presence. And, and I can start there and work my way backwards around any issue from that moment. Because if that's true, then all of the commands of God in Scripture are about him loving me and trying to lead me into life, not him trying to take from me or destroy me. If he's so committed to us and his glory that he sends the son to die on the cross, then his commands around sexuality are actually for my good, even if they press on me a little bit. His commands on how I see and love and trust my wife, they, they might feel at times difficult, but they've been given for my good. That his commands about how to see children and how to handle money and how to walk with other men, like all of that given to me by God, not to press me down, not to take from me, but to lead me into life. If that's true, then all of that has to be true. And I just wonder how many of you just, man, you never got in the game. Like you just come here, sit and listen to me talk, never join a group, never share the gospel, not praying for people in your neighborhood, don't have any passion for your coworkers to see them come to know and, and believe this beautiful gift that you and I have been given, all because you're struggling with some doubt. You're stuck in some behavior that you can't seem to break out of. You, you just see like, like this whole thing is belonging to people like me. And I would just think, like, I would just remind you, you have no idea who I am. And my guess is if you're thinking that, you have put me in a place I do not belong, and I'll eventually disappoint me, and you'll eventually leave and hate me. What would be better is for you to see me as an imperfect human doing what God laid in front of him. Imperfectly, with the best of my ability, knowing that God's going to be gracious to my failures, hoping that you will be also. So it's been given to you. The, the kingdom of God hasn't spread across the world through charismatic communicators. It's spread by faithful men and women in neighborhoods and workplaces and, and, and in parks. And, and I just got back from overseas. It, it, I'm telling you, it, it spreads when thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of imperfect, goofy, broken people simply lean into what the Lord has for them where he has them. Like to be faithful in their neighborhoods, to be faithful in their workplaces, to be a faithful presence in the domains that God has wired them and placed them. 
And if you disqualify yourself by some standard that you set up that's completely out of line with how the Lord has done things historically and biblically, you rob only yourself of the joy of Christian maturity that comes through obedience by faith, not your moral wrangling. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray here in just a second. And as I pray, men and women are on our prayer team. Some of our staff are going to come up here. There's going to be some in the back. And I'm just creating space for you. Like, you might be in that season. This whole thing might be for you today. Like, you've just felt stuck. You felt unlovable. You felt just decimated by doubt, wrestling with, man, am I even a Christian? I mean, I'm, this is so hard for me to believe. This passage messes with me. This doctrine, it's like that you're just in that season. I want to just remind you, okay, move towards him, move towards him. Like, you think the Lord's disappointed that you're in that place? Book of Hebrews says he's empathetic. Do you believe that? See, this is where you can believe whatever you want about common grace. This is where some psychology, there's some family origin issues that strike us and hurt us and make it very difficult to understand. Like if you grew up with a, a father that was the exact opposite of this and any kind of weakness or doubt would be pounced on and crushed and you should do better than, I mean, that, that's gonna orient you towards God in a way that's unhelpful and not biblical. No, 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 he, he's the one that cheers on his sons and daughters, even if there's a limp. Yes. I wish I had more time. He used to always tell this illustration of how, um, you know, when Audrey started to walk, she just kind of, she had a big head and a small body, and she'd step, 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 fall on the ground. But we just rejoiced that she took a couple steps. We didn't even see her fall. Can you believe it? You remember when you're, you have a kid? You remember when your kid walked? Did you see the fall, or did you just freak out because they were walking? Maybe isn't that what we're talking about right here? You think maybe the Lord's not seeing your stumbling and how big your head is and instead just seeing a couple steps and rejoicing? Look at that. Steps. So here's what I want you to do. I think if you stay in the dark, he's going to kill you. And so I'm going to open it up. There'll be some men and women up here. And men, you're in that spot where you're doubting, you're stuck, you're paralyzed. I'm saying just come loop somebody in. We're going to pray for you. And, and then I would loop in those who know you well so that they can pray for you. This is, God is a safe space for your doubt. This church is a safe place to wrestle. And so take advantage of what the Lord would invite you into, into his love as you are with your concerns committed to walk you to the other side of them, right? So let's do this. Let me pray for us. Father, I bless these men and women. I don't know what you're doing. You're doing stuff. I know you are. You love these people. You love these people more than I do. You know them better than I do. And so I just want to ask right now, Holy Spirit of God, for that man or woman who it's going to be hard for them to move. I mean, there's not going to be any eyes bowed or eyes closed or head bowed. It's going to be awkward. And yet I just pray that they would want out of the moment that they're in bad enough to move towards you by your grace. So I just ask in the next few moments that you stir up a heart of belief and gladness. I thank you that anyone who walks forward for prayer actually is like, they're just joining the great chorus of Christian history and some of the heroes in the Bible. But it's going, hey, I just feel a little deceived here. Man, I'm not sure I know what to do with this. I feel like the Lord can't use me because of this. I feel stuck because of this. And that in that, King Jesus, might you break through life on the other side. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.